Okay. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for your patience. And we are ready to get launched into our final Thursday afternoon class before, uh, before Pesach. So I hope we do a good job on this and I hope we leave you with lots of memorable things to have for your Pesach Seder. But this is gonna be our last one. We will still, of course, have our class on Tuesday morning, our class on Tuesday evening and, and the Book of Prophets. If you wanna join that, please send me an email at lburnham at partnersdetroit.org. Again, that is L-B-U-R-N-H-A-M at partnersdetroit.org. And I will be happy to get you connected to those classes as well. So we'll have our Tuesday classes. We will not have our Thursday class next week. This is our final one. And yes, we're gonna be doing the Haggadah. I see that, Esther Posner. Okay, excellent. We're gonna be doing the Haggadah tonight, yes. Hebrew and Dutch. Oh, Hebrew and Dutch, that's amazing. And I'm actually, believe it or not, unfortunately, I'm gonna mute you all right now. I feel bad, I'm sorry about that, but that's kind of cool that you have a Haggadah in Hebrew and Dutch. They've got, I mean, there's more Haggadahs than there's anything in the world, you know that? Like meaning there's more Haggadahs than there are sitters. Every year they come out with dozens and dozens of new Haggadahs, brand new from that year. They don't come out with new sitters every year. It's a really amazing thing. Haggadahs, it's so much a part of the Jewish people is telling over the story of our uh, coming into being that it's really become the most prolific Jewish piece of, uh, of literature out there is the Haggadah. There is more copies that I was in, in Belgium, I believe in the city of Bruges, B-R-U-G-G-E. Um, Bruges is a gorgeous, gorgeous city, also known as the Venice of the North, right? It's filled with beautiful waterways and all that. And they had a incredible, incredible museum on uh, printing because for a long time, what people don't realize is that Amsterdam and indeed the Netherlands was the financial center of the world. This actually occurred after the Jews were kicked out of uh, Spain and they went to, to Amsterdam and they turned Amsterdam into the financial and economic powerhouse of the world. It's really not a good idea to kick the Jews out of your country. It doesn't work out well. History has shown us that. Um, and, uh, and of course, Spain went into decline right after they kicked us out. Obviously, they, they captured the new world, right? But ever since then, they, they, were, they were the height of economic and, and political power. And then they started declining. They were beaten by the uh, English in a major, major, major naval battle. And then they, they just had bad, bad strokes. And, and Amsterdam became the most important economic and financial powerhouse of the world. They also, interestingly enough, were the, the center of publishing for the world for hundreds of years as well. And we went to this incredible, incredible museum to a printing house that had been the most powerful printing house in Europe for hundreds of years. And they used to print everything. They printed Christian texts and Jewish texts and Muslim texts and gardening texts. And I mean, they, they, they printed everything. And we saw there in their, in their archives, they let you walk around this like room after room. It's, it's a labyrinth of rooms. And, and, and they show you some of the most early printing presses. There were printing presses there that were over 500 years old. I mean, you get to see some really amazing things. And they showed you all kinds of books that were in their, in their archives. And we saw there a number of Jewish books, including some ancient Haggadahs. So maybe the one that Esther Posner just showed us, which is the one that is in Dutch and in Hebrew, maybe the original one of that one was in that exact uh, library, in that exact location. Okay, let us get started though. In, we're gonna dive into, we, we covered last week, we were doing the back nine of the Seder this year. I don't know if we're gonna get to do the full back nine. We started with the 18th hole. We did Lashana Abba. We did four reasons for Chad Gadya. We did who knows one in more than one explanation. 
And now we are going to go a little bit further back. <clears throat> We're going to go to the Adir Hu. So in the uh, step of the Seder called Nirzam, right, we have a, um, a song called Adir Hu, right? It is sung in different ways, in different tunes. As a matter of fact, in our family, we actually have a number of Haggadah songs that we sing in different sounds because we love both of them. So we don't want to not cover any of them. And there's so few nights of the Seder to sing. So we sing the first few Adir Hu's with one tune, and then we go to a different tune. But uh, the one you might may, might be fam- familiar with for your family is Adir Hu Yibne Beisel Bakaro Meiram Meiram Yibne Beisel Bakaro Kelbene Kelbene Yibne Beisel Bakaro. I don't know if that's your tune. Maybe it's not your tune. But anyway, again, Adir Hu, he is most mighty. Yibne Beisel Bakaro, he will build his house speedily. Bemeira Bemeira Yibne Bakaro, yes, speedily, speedily in our days soon. Kelbene Kelbene Bene Beisel Bakaro, God rebuild, God rebuild, rebuild your house soon. This is the theme that we're, it's both the greatness of Hashem and our desire. It's a combination of the greatness of Hashem that we know that one day he will rebuild the Beis HaMikdash. And it is our deepest and most fervent desires that he would create the Beis HaMikdash. And of course, here we have to ask the very important question. If tomorrow the Messiah were to come. Whew, that was some hot, hot coffee. Wow. I added extra hot water right before the class. Woo! <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. Anyway, <clears throat> there's a famous song, whatever, um, by a country singer. And the song is called If Tomorrow Never Comes. And the basic idea is if God forbid tomorrow never came, would your wife and your kids know how much you love them? right? Do you tell your children and your spouse enough how much you love them? That if God forbid tomorrow never came, they would be living the rest of their lives with absolute certainty that my father loved me, my father cared about me, my father was proud of me, right? As a matter of fact, uh, there's somebody that I know passed away, and, and when she passed away, she asked of other people, can you please just call my children frequently and just tell them that I love them. I just want them to know, even though I'm gone, I still love them. So that was an amazing request. There's someone saying, if tomorrow never comes, and this, this was someone who knew that she was not well and her tomorrow would soon stop coming. And she wanted to make sure that her children just knew how deeply um, she, she loved them. So there's a song, if tomorrow never comes, right? Would they know how much you love them, right? So it's an important song. We have to live. The Gemara says you should do tshuva every day. Sorry, the Gemara says you, do, you should do teshuva. You should repent. Shuv yom lefnei moscha. Do repentance the day before you die. Ask the Gemara, what do you mean? Nobody knows when they're going to die. Aha! That's exactly the point. Repent every day because today, who knows? God forbid someone can go out on the street and get hit by a van, by hit by a truck. You know, everyone's talking about, you know, the coronavirus, the vaccines. I mean, God... It's crazy. I'm actually going today to get my second vaccine. But someone can get their second vaccine and boom, they get hit by a truck on the way out. <laughs> Vaccines don't save people. God saves people, right? We need to understand that. So at the end of the day, uh, that's the song, If Tomorrow Never Comes. But what about if tomorrow did come? What about the reverse song? If the Messiah would come tomorrow, would I know how to greet him, right? If the Messiah came tomorrow, would I know how to greet him? Would I know what the Messiah likes for breakfast? Would I know how he likes his coffee? 
If Mashiach were to come tomorrow and Hashem with his incredible kindness and compassion rebuild the base on Migdash, would we know what to do? Would we know how to bring the offerings? Would we know how to bring this proper services? We say, let's get together. We Just last week we were talking about, we were saying hopefully next week we're going to celebrate the Pesach Seder together in Jerusalem. Come to my house. We're having lamb for dinner. Do you know how to make the lamb? Do you know how to prepare the lamb? It, it so happens that I do because I'm studying the Dafyomi. And in the Dafyomi, it spends pages and pages and pages and pages talking about the laws of bringing the Paschal offering. So God willing, again, if guys, God willing, if the Pesach, if Mashiach comes today, if Mashiach comes tomorrow, just make sure you find me in Jerusalem, okay, before Erev Pesach so that you could join in my Seder. And thank God, I've learned a little bit of the laws. For example, I know that I could slaughter it, but I can't, um, I can't catch the blood. I know that the, the, the Kohanim have to catch the blood. I know how the Kohanim are going to pass the vessels in the temple. They had golden and silver vessels and rows and rows of Kohanim because there were so many people, so many hundreds of thousands of people coming to bring their Paschal offerings. They actually had to do it in three shifts. They had to close out the temple. They had to say, okay, 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 enough. We're closing the temple doors. We'll do another shift in a moment. And they were literally like shut. They had to do three separate shifts. Usually the final shift was very, very short, but they would have three shifts and they would have hundreds of thousands of Jews lining up with their offerings. And the Kohanim would allow you to do the shechita if you, if you so desired. You're allowed to do the actual sacrificial uh, incision, the, the, the slaughtering, but then they would catch the blood and there would be a line of Kohanim from here to the altar. And the Kohanim would be holding either gold or silver uh, like basins, like these sort of catching basins that, and they would catch the blood as it came out and they would pass it to the next person and the next person, the next person, and they would pass forward the full uh, containers of blood towards the Mizbah. And then the Kohanim would send back the empties. And then when it would get to the Mizbah, they would pour one, just one simple pouring down on the altar of the blood that would be sort of, and then how they would take the blood, the, the animal and how they would skin it and flay it and how they would cook the animal on a spit what kind of woods are appropriate to use for the spit? I mean, the Talmud talks about this. If you're gonna, if you're gonna fry, you're not allowed to use a metal spit, right? You're not allowed to use a metal spit because the entire Paschal offering has to be tzli'esh, has to be um, made out of um, something that's roasted meat. Not roasted meat means roasted by the fire, but when you have a metal spit, the metal spit gets superheated and it starts cooking the animal from the inside, not from the fire, from the hot spit. So you have to use a wooden spit and what kind of spits? I mean, the spit is like the, the, you know, the thing you put through the animal to put it on the, on the barbecue, so to speak. We make one big shawarma out of that, right? So there's like all these incredible laws about who's allowed to eat in my carbon Pesach. People have to be signed up ahead of time. You can't just walk in late. You got to be signed up. The carbon Pesach could only be eaten to those who had signed up to be part of this, of this sheep. There are so many laws. So we say to Hashem, rebuild, 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 rebuild. We sing, we say, What if Mashiach came tomorrow? Are you ready? If Mashiach came tomorrow, would he know how much you loved him? And the ways that he would know how much you loved him is if you were ready for him, if you were prepared. 
The Chavetz Chaim used to give a parable. He used to say, imagine you're making a big bar mitzvah for your family and you invite the family from far and wide and you send out beautiful invitations. And then all the relatives start screaming in from all over. You call them, you send out these beautiful. I one time had a wedding. This guy sent me an invitation and I'm not kidding. The, the invitation probably, I don't know how many pounds it weighed, but it, it was this just massive invitation. It came, it, it cost $4.50 in postage just to send out each invitation. It was envelopes inside of envelopes and cards and this and lay, lace and it was, it was gorgeous. I called him up. I said, hey, I just want you to know, I got the invitation, I'm up to chapter two. It's amazing. <laughs> It was such a big invitation. It was such a big invitation. Right? So imagine I send out all these beautiful, elaborate invitations. I want everyone to come. A simcha is only a simcha when shared by friends. Please come and join us for the bar mitzvah of my son. Blah, 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 blah. And I send it out and I call people. Hey, you coming? And they all, they, they was like, okay, look, it really means something to Levi, obviously. So they're all going to come. They make the effort. They come. Give me one second. I'm just adjusting the camera. No, just adjusted it the wrong way. Okay, that didn't work out. That worked out better. Okay, yeah. So uh, all, and then suddenly all the relatives show up. The bar mitzvah is called for. I don't know. Let's say it's April seventeenth, and people show up on April sixteenth, and they start knocking on the door. The lights are off. No one's around. I come downstairs, and they already sent me the confirmation of their flights when they're coming in. And there's like twelve people outside my door. It's Friday morning. We're doing a Shabbos bar mitzvah. And when people come, I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys are here? Oh, great. Um, hey, guys, the family's here. Let's start preparing. Like, let's start preparing? That's not what you want to hear when you just showed up and just took a flight halfway across the country for a bar mitzvah. Same thing says the Chavetz Chaim. Imagine the Mashiach comes. We've been saying every day, every day we're inviting Mashiach. I believe with a complete faith for the coming of the Messiah. Even though he's tarrying, even though he's delaying, every day I await his coming. Every day I await his arrival. We've been singing this song and saying these prayers for generations. Can you imagine? Mashiach finally comes and we're like, uh, uh, okay, guys, Mashiach is here. Get out the instruction manual. Now, by the way, because of that, the Chavetz Chaim and indeed many groups have set up that you're supposed to have readings, learnings, that people learn all the laws of the temple laws. To this, to this day in, in Eretz Yisrael, the Brisker yeshivas, the, the yeshivas from the dynasty of Brisk, they generally tend to learn the laws of sacrifices. Actually, Rav David Salvechik just passed away a few weeks ago. He was, he was, he was one of the people who escaped in, in the middle of the Holocaust. He was in his late 90s when he passed away. And his family is from a dynasty, an absolute brilliant dynasty of world-changing Torah thinkers and teachers. But one of the things that they do mostly is they focus on the laws of all the sacrifices. This way, if, if Mashiach comes tomorrow, <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm doing first. I'm, I'm keeping brisk, yeshiva's brisk on speed dial. I'm like, hey guys, yeah, um, Mashiach is here. Can I come with you? Because I know you guys have been learning these laws for the last 85 years. I have a daughter who has a piece of jewelry that she keeps for Mashiach. 
She wants to wear it when Mashiach comes. And she's holding on to it. She does not wear it. She will not wear it until Mashiach comes. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of jewelry, but she set it aside. There were many great leaders. The Chavetz Chaim had a bag packed underneath his bed with his Shabbos clothing so that when Mashiach came, he was ready to go. He wanted to be shovel ready for when Mashiach came. So we have to think, if Mashiach comes, are we, re- are we ready to go? We daven for Mashiach. We say, Bim hey rab, bim hey rab, yamenu bekarov, kelbenei, kelbenei, b'nei 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 And Hashem's like, okay, I'm rebuilding Mashiach. Are we ready? <clears throat> okay. So that's something we should think about. And ideally, we should ask ourselves, in what way, especially if one of the 13 attributes of faith is the belief in the coming of the Messiah and saying that I wait for him every day, In what way am I sort of shovel ready for the Messiah to come? Okay. Next. Uh, and by the way, someone here wrote, oh, we're not supposed to eat roast on Pesach. That is correct. We're not supposed to eat roast on Pesach because in the temple times, they would roast the carbon Pesach, the Paschal offering. We don't eat roast today, so it shouldn't look like we think we're bring, bringing a carbon Pesach, which is not allowed. You're only allowed to bring a carbon Pesach in the base of Migdash, in the actual temple. So we're not allowed to bring a carbon Pesach in our homes, and therefore... If we are at home, we cannot bring a carbon Pesach, so we don't eat um, we don't eat roast on Pesach. And shovel ready is just a phrase to say I'm ready to go. Like construction projects that are shovel ready means as soon as you sign the dotted line, they're going to start you know digging. That's just it's a phrase. Okay, next there are 15 steps in the seder. The last step, the one that we're in the middle of discussing right now, is nirza. Nirza means acceptance. Okay. And at the beginning of Nirza, which is the final step, and again, 15, by the way, in Judaism, always represents going from seven, going from nature to eight, which is transcendent. So seven plus eight is 15. The natural world and then adding in transcendence is 15. So there's 15 steps in the Pesach Seder. And we start off the final step of the Seder with the following prayer. And again, this is many, many different tunes, but a lot of people know this tune. Which is the Passover Seder is concluded according to its each traditional detail and halacha with all of its laws and customs. As we have been privileged to celebrate the Seder, so may we celebrate it in Jerusalem. It's a different, it's a different um, phrase over here. Pure one who dwells on high. Support. You're countless in number, your people countless in number, may you soon redeem all your people joyfully in Sion. So it's a song saying, we had our Seder here, we hope to have our next one in Sion. And again, many people have the custom here to say Lashana Abba three times in a row. Okay, so Lashana Abba Yerushalayim Habnuya. Um, now it's kind of weird, because we say we're done, but we're not really done. We say this at the beginning of the 15th step, but there's still a lot of songs that we have. We have or that's one song. We have Adirhu. We have Echad uh, Miodea. We have Kilona Ekiloya Eh. 
We have Chad God. Yeah, we've got like five more songs to go. The Seder is not done by any stretch of the imagination. There's like five more, six more pages in your Haggadah. Why are we saying we are done? Right? Why are we saying we are done? We say Chasal Seder Pesach Kil Chasa. We finished the, the, the Pesach Seder according to all of its laws. Oh, no, you didn't. Because you still have a whole five more songs to sing. You didn't finish the Seder. Why don't we say this at the end of the Seder? Say it after Chad Gadya. Chad Gadya is the last step of the Seder. It's the last song. And then say, We've concluded the Seder Pesach. According to its halacha, according to all of its laws and its statutes. So why do we sing it before Nirza? You get the question, guys? We say, we finished the Pesach Seder, and then we have five more songs. No, you didn't. The answer is, you're saying you finished the Pesach Seder, and we're saying, oh, no, you didn't. But the answer is, oh, yes, you did. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, yes, you did. Because the reality is, I finished all my obligations. Every single thing that is an obligation for me to do by the Pesach Seder, I've already done. I sing this song immediately after drinking the fourth cup of wine. What are the mitzvot of the Pesach Seder? There are two biblical commandments, according to most opinions. There are two biblical commandments. Number one, eat matzah. Number two, tell over the story of the exodus from Egypt. Talking it out. Telling over the story. That's the two biblical commandments. Then we have multiple rabbinical commandments, like eating the marar, like the four cups of wine, right? We have the manishtana. There's many certain like customs that have to be put into place that we've got to do. We're supposed to matchil begnusum esayim bishvach, which is means we start with the sad and we continue with the glad, which according to some opinions is part of the doraisa, part of the biblical commandment of telling over the story. We dip the karpas. We eat the mar and the charosas. There's so many things that we do. But by the time after we drink the fourth cup, which is right before chasal or pasach, we say, we're done because we are done. We've checked off every box. You know, certain people, when they go to work, there's like a, a staff duty sheet and it has all the list of things that you got to do on this shift. So we've now, we, we've checked off all the boxes on the duty shift. Did you drink four cups of wine? Check. Did you tell over the story? Check. Did you do it in question and answer format? Check. Did you eat the matzah? Check. Did you lean on your right side? Check. Did you eat the mar? Check. Did you eat the korach sandwich like hill? Check. Did you eat the afikoman? Check. Did you say halal, which again is another important rabbinical commandment? Check. You've done it all. You're a superstar. So we say to Hashem, chasal zinur pesach kil chaso. I finished everything I'm supposed to do. I've done all the laws. I checked all the boxes. But guess what? I'm not going anywhere because I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to be here. I love sitting at the Seder with you, God. And I ain't going anywhere because there's nowhere I'd rather be. You don't have any more duties. Chasal Seder Pesach Kel Chaso. I have finished the Seder Pes- the Pesach Seder according to its laws. Kechol Mishpato Vechukaso, according to all of its statutes and all of its rules. I have finished it. I did what I'm supposed to do. But I ain't going anywhere because I love hanging out with you, God.
when my wife and I were dating, I remember we used to like, we would close down restaurants regularly, right? What would that mean? We would come out for, we would get, we would meet for dinner. I'd pick her up from her house or by her parents' house. And my wonderful mother-in-law I saw just joined this, uh, this uh, class, she's on over here. My wonderful mother-in-law said, so I'd pick my wife up from, from her house and we'd go out for dinner at a restaurant. Let's say we'd get there at eight o'clock, whatever. And then we'd finish eating dinner, but we were just having great conversation and we'd just stay. And then it'd be like 11 o'clock and the waiters would be coming over like, okay, yeah, you know, uh, we're closing down the kitchen now. It was like, it's okay, we just stay here. Like, okay, yeah, well, you know, and they, they would clean our table, of course. And then like, they'd be putting up the chairs you know, they're putting the chairs up on the on the chair on the table so they can you know sweep underneath the tables and mop and finally like whatever it's like 11 30 like okay we're, we're locking up you need it we got to turn off the lights and lock the doors you need to get out right now i i fulfilled all my obligations i took her out i served her dinner <laughs> but i didn't want to go anywhere i was where i wanted to be the seder of the pesach seder is such a beautiful time it's a time when we're sitting with god it's a time that the whole night is a, is is light. It's it's a yom shu kulo yom velo laila. It's a day that is all day. There's no night on Pesach. There's no darkness. There's no befuddlement. There's no confusion. There's no chaos. And I can just sit with God. You want me to leave? I don't want to leave. I finished all my obligations. I've checked off all this all the staff duty sheet. I'm done, but I'm not going anywhere because I love sitting with your bonus loan. Let's sit together. Let me sing to you songs. Let me tell you, Adir, who you're so strong and how I want to see you, Bukarov, Bukarov, build the base of Mingash. Let's come home. It's so good to sing to you. It's so beautiful to sing to you. I don't want to go anywhere. I want to stay here as long as I can. I want to bask in the light. This is a little bit of what a glimpse of what Mashiach is going to be. What's Mashiach going to be? The Gemara tells us Mashiach is going to be, there's going to be, the Gemara says there's no eating, there's no drinking, there's no marital intimacy, there's no business, there's no money making, there's no competition. There's nothing. What are you doing? Righteous people are sitting and their crowns are on their heads and they're enjoying basking in the glory of the divine. The feeling at the end of the Pesach Seder, you're full, you're happy, you're satiated, you're joyful. The kids are sleeping on random couches or floors around the house and you just want to sing. Your family's together. It's so beautiful. You don't want to go anywhere. You're you're sitting there and basking in the glow of the divine presence. Many years ago, I remember my yeshiva, I went to yeshiva called Sharyashiv, and we went away for Shabbos. Again, many years ago, we went away, my yeshiva, where I went to rabbinical school, they went away for Shabbos, we rented out a camp. And in this camp, we had uh, each, each night, each Shabbos meal, there was a different rabbi who led the meal. So he probably had, I don't know, maybe 150 young yeshiva students and probably eight or 10 rabbis came with their families. And each meal was led by a different rabbi who would decide which songs we were gonna sing and when they were gonna insert the Torah and so on and so forth. Now, my personal rabbi, the one who was my, my rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Steinwurzel, he was a Hasidic man of incredible, fiery, beautiful energy. 
and he was leading the Shalashudas. He was leading the third meal. And it was probably in, in early June. So it was like the latest Shabbos of the year because the, the, the solstice is June 21st. So I remember Shabbos is getting out and, and we have the lights are off. The lights were pre-programmed that they should be off. There's a few candles lit uh, in the middle of the table. Maybe, I don't, I don't remember. There was like a few, maybe there was just a few lights on. I don't, I don't remember exactly the scenario, but I remember it was like dark and everyone's sitting there was swaying back and forth and we're singing and he's saying beautiful Debrei Torah and it's so amazing. But Maybe Shabbos got out that day at 941. I don't remember what it was. So as it starts getting closer, you got like 925, 927. Guys are starting to look at their watches. You know, you got some smokers. They haven't been smoking for 25 hours. It's not, not so easy for them. And finally, the rabbi says, hey, look at He says, I see some people are looking at their watches. If you need to go do something, if you're waiting for a phone call, if you got to do something, by all means, please bench, make a minion for my room in a room next door, or two doors over, do the evening services, make Havdalah. You're, you're dismissed, so to speak. He says, but me, where am I going? Where am I running to? Is the week that great? I'm in Shabbos. I'm in bliss mode right now. Am I in such a rush to get back to grind? I'm exactly where I want to be. I'm sitting at a Shabbos table surrounded by Yidin. We're singing songs of devotion. We're saying over Divrei Torah. Shabbos is in the air still. The serenity and the peace of Shabbos is here. I don't need the week to invade just yet. I'm going to stay here for a while. And anyone who would like to stay with me, please feel free to stick around. And I remember hearing that. And I never, ever looked at Shabbos the same way again. People rush to get out of Shabbos. No, we should be mimaharim lavo. We should be rushing to get Shabbos in, umaachrim latzes. But we're slow to, to leave. We don't want to leave. We don't want to leave Shabbos. It's the most beautiful time of the week. It's the Makara Bracha. It's the source of all blessing. I'll stay here a little bit longer. Let's do 72. Let's wait a few more minutes. Let's keep on waiting even a little bit. Let's sing. Where's the rush? Where am I rushing to? That's how we have to look at Shabbos. And the same thing goes for the Pesach Seder. The same thing goes for the Pesach Seder, where we tell Hashem, I'm done the Pesach Seder. I checked all the boxes. I did everything I'm supposed to do, but I ain't going anywhere because I love it here. Can I stay a little bit longer? Can we sing together? Can I tell you how much I love you? Can I tell you how much I appreciate the incredible gifts that you gave me? The one Hashem that you gave me, that you gave me a relationship with you, the two Luchos and the three patriarchs and the four matriarchs and the five books of, the Mo of Moses of the Torah, the six books of the Mishnah, the seven days of the week, the Shabbos Kodesh, the eight days of the Rismila that separates us and gives us a transcendent job in the world, the nine months of the pregnancy, the 10 commandments. I, I, I just want to talk to you. I want to thank you. I want to sing with you. I want to be with you. That's why the last step is called nirza. The word nirza means to be desired. From the word rotse, I want, I desire, I wish for, right? Because this final step of the Seder, you don't have to do anything. 
I'm here because I want to be here. And when Hashem sees that I'm here because I want to be here, it causes us to be desired by Hashem. When Hashem says, really, you just want to hang out with me? You weren't just doing it because you were obligated? Wow, now I want you so much more too. When someone gives you exactly what they, they are obligated to give you, so okay, fine. They feel a sense of obligation. They gave it to me. Okay, fine. But someone says, no, 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 I'm not obligated. Let's, let's hang out. Wow, you like me, you like me like that? <laughs> I love you like that too. Nirza. We cause Hashem to be wanting us because he sees how much we want him. Okay. <clears throat> Next. Next. Before Nirza is Hallel. The step, the, the 14th step of the Seder is Hallel, where we actually read the majority of the, the Hallel prayers from the book of Psalms. And before we do that, though, we have a very strange custom. We take a big cup of wine or cup, take a big silver cup. We fill it up with wine or grape juice because Elijah's supposed to drink from it. And then we tell all the kids, look at the cup, look at the cup. And then while they're looking at the cup, we shove the table a little bit with our foot. <laughs> and then it starts shaking. Oh, that, there we go. You saw me. I, I, saw, I saw him drinking. I forgot. We also have somebody go open the door for Elijah. What are we doing? And then we say a pretty intense, a pretty intense statement. We say, Pour out your fury on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not invoke in your name. For they have devoured Yaakov and desolated his home. Pour out your wrath on them. May your blazing anger overtake them. Pursue them in wrath and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. Pretty intense. Pretty intense. What's going on over here? How did this thing happen? So first of all, why are we inviting Elio to our Seder, period? Right? And why are we giving him a fifth cup of wine? We drink four, but we make him a fifth. Now, there's a few different opinions why we invite Elio to our Seder. First of all, there's, and I'm not sure if you, you are familiar with the tragic end of Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet spent his entire time trying to convince the Jewish people to serve God and not to serve the idols. His chief nemesis was the wicked king Ahav and his wife Izevel, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. I mean, the names, right? You don't, I mean, that's appropriate names. You know what I'm saying? It's like Lou Gehrig had the right name. You could have known how he was going to go. He ended up going out with Lou Gehrig's disease. I, I, I called it right from the get-go. As soon as he was called Lou Gehrig, I'm like, I got a feeling. I don't want to say anything, but I think I know how he's going to end up passing. And sure enough, that's what happened. Um, so King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, right? These very, very wicked, wicked people who are encouraging the Jewish people to sin and, and serve idols. And Elijah the prophet, Eliyahu Anavi, is fighting them with everything he's got. And he finally arranges this incredible showdown on Har HaKarmel, on Mount Carmel, which you can still see in Israel today. That's what I love about it. You learn Tanakh, and then you go to Israel. Like, 
There's Hara Carmel, and there's Bikas Megiddo, and every, everything you everything you learn about it, it's right there. So he has a showdown where he says, "You know what? You guys think you want to be serving idols? Bring all your bring all your idol worshiping, you know, uh, prophets, priests, whatever you want, and let's all bring offerings and let's see whose offering God takes. Let's see where the fire comes down from heaven and whose offering it consumes." So sure enough, they gather all the Jewish people and they come and, and, and Elio is praying and praying and praying. This works out. He was afraid that maybe there'd be certain schosim, whatever it was. He's really praying to Hashem. This is actually where Mincha, one of the most important like, um, you know, uh, prayers of Mincha was ever said, right? So he's praying and praying and praying. And he ends up, the 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 priests of the Baal, of this particular Avodah this particular idol, they're trying with all their might to bring down the fire. No can do. Ain't no fire coming from the heavens. And then Elijah the prophet, he's like pouring water all over. Just in case you think my my offering here was like super combustible or whatever. He's pouring water all over it. He's got a little moat around it filled with water. And then he starts praying. And then a fire comes out from heaven and consumes his offering. And the whole people see that he's right. And when he's done... Queen Izebel and King Ahab say to him, <laughs> okay, you think you won this one? Watch, tomorrow morning everyone will be serving idols again. Yeah, you impressed everybody. You made yourself a nice little magic show. Big deal. Tomorrow they're all going to be serving idols again. And indeed the next day many of them went back to idols and Elijah the prophet was just so dejected. He basically pretty much sort of almost gave up on the Jewish people. It's like these people, there's no hope. Hashem takes him back to heaven. But Hashem tells him, you're going to see, don't, don't underestimate my people. Never, ever, ever give up on my people. You're going to see, they're going to make it through this. And as a matter of fact, you're going to be in the first seats, in the front row seats, as you watch my people sticking with it throughout all the millennia and all the generations. Now, the two things that most Jewish people do more than any other mitzvahs is bris milah and the Pesach Seder. And that's why Elio Anavi comes to our Pesach Seder and he comes to our bris milahs, right? Because we want to show him, look, Elio, you gave up on us. Don't, don't, we're here. We're still doing it. We're still celebrating Pesach. We're still recognizing that Hashem took us out of Egypt and gave us this incredibly important role in the world. We haven't given up on God. We may not be swinging. We may not be batting a thousand. But we haven't hung up our cleats yet. We're still in the game. That's one opinion why we're inviting Elio to the Seder. The other opinion is as follows. There's a dispute in the Talmud about whether we should be drinking four cups of wine or five cups of wine. The cups of wine that we drink are corresponding to the Lashonos of Geula, the languages the, the descriptions of redemption that God gave us. So there's for sure four. Vehotsesi, I took I will take them out. Vehitsalti, and I will save them. Vigaalti, and I will redeem them. Vilakachti, and I will take them to me as a nation. That's four. But there is, in that same chapter, another phrase. It says, Vehevesi, and I will bring them into my land. And I'll give them the land of Israel as a final inheritance. We don't quite have that one. That hasn't yet come true. I mean, 
So there's a dispute in the Talmud, should we be drinking four or five? And the Talmud concludes with the following statement, teku. Teku is a common refrain in the Talmud, which basically means we don't know, which is kind of cool, by the way, that the Talmud is able to say, we don't know the answer to this one. And you know who's going to tell us the final answer? We simply cannot figure this out. Teku, which stands for Tishbi Yetaretz Kushios Vabayos. Tishbi, Elijah the Tishbite, Elio Anavi, he will answer all of our big questions. So we're going to wait on him. So who's going to answer whether or not we have a fifth cup? Elijah. So in the meantime, we give it to him. We make a fifth cup, and we call it the Koshel Eliyahu, the cup of Elijah, because it's his cup. He's going to be the one who decides whether we get it or not. And by the way, it's just so beautiful in Judaism. We have these questions. We just say, Teku. It's a good question. We're not putting the question away. We're not hiding the question because we don't have an answer. No, no, no. We love questions. We'll print them, and we'll say that we don't have the answer to this. But God willing, we're looking forward to Elijah telling us the answer. So that is why we have Elijah at our Seder. Why do we open the door? If the other guy can come through the chimney, how come Elijah the prophet can come through the wall? And especially, you know, we do invite Elijah the prophet to our brises, and we have a kise shalalio. We have a chair for Elijah. We have a kos shalaliyahu in at our Pesach Seder. And we have a kise shalalio, a chair for Elijah at the bris. Does anybody ever tell a kid by the bris, go open the door so Elijah can get in? I think he's waiting. He just texted me. He's outside. <laughs> no, Elijah comes through the roof. He doesn't really come through the roof. He's a spiritual being. He just shows up. He's just, he's just there, right? So why are we opening the door for Elijah? And the answer is that opening the door for Elijah is actually a relatively new thing. You see, actually, we'll, we'll connect it to the next point in a moment. We have this pretty intensely worded statement about God pouring out his wrath and furious anger and, and all kinds of like, again, the language there is, let's read it again. Pour out your fury on the nations that do not know you, upon the kingdoms that do not invoke your name. For they have devoured Jacob and desolated his home. Pour out your wrath on them. May your blazing anger overtake them. Pursue them in wrath and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. Someone once showed me a Haggadah, not of a, um, not from a Torah observant source. And the commentaries on that particular part piece says, on the Shvoch Hamas Chalagayim, it says, it's a late addition to the Haggadah after the period of the Crusades and the pogroms of the Rhineland. The Crusades were a series of military conflicts of a religious character waged by Christians from 1096 to 1291, usually sanctioned by the Pope. The first crusade was launched in 1095 by Pope Urban II with the dual goals of liberating the sacred city of Jerusalem and the Holy Land from the Muslims and freeing the Eastern Christians from Muslim rule. Inevitably, the Christians, the Crusades also involved destruction and oppression of Jewish communities in Europe and the Holy Land. The harshness of the section often causes it to be excluded or skipped in many a modern Seder. Hmm? Many a modern Seder says, ah, I'm not such a wrathful kind of person. I don't like talking about God pouring out, pouring out his wrath and his furious anger. 
that doesn't sit so comfortably for me. I'm like, yo, man, peace, right? I'm like more the kind of guy who's like, I've got the coexist bumper sticker and I'm like all about peace and I don't even wear leather shoes because they're like made from animals. So I don't want to read that part of this Haggadah because it offends my sensibilities. Did you ever speak to a Holocaust survivor? Did you ever ask them if it, if it offends their sensibilities? Have you ever spoken to somebody who watched their child torn from their arms, thrown up into the air and caught on the end of a bayonet? Have you ever asked them if they're a little bit uncomfortable with the idea of God pouring out his wrath on the people who come to devour Jacob and to destroy every home and every place we live? The amazing lack of awareness of what Jewish history is and the horrific violence and abuse and torture, expulsions, humiliations, pogroms, crusades that we experienced for thousands of years, never able to settle down in a country for too long before we're thrown out. I mean, we live in America and America, thankfully, is a Medina Shel Chesed, is a country of incredible kindness. And we have to be so appreciative to America for that. And by the way, even here, the ethnic group that is attacked more than any other ethnic group in America is the Jews. There's no question about it. The stats of anti-Semitic attacks versus any other kind of racial attack. Anti-Muslim right now, unfortunately, is a horrific rise in anti-Asian attacks, which is just devastating and so horrible to see. But every year, every single year, the Jews are more victims of hate crimes than any other any other group. I've been beaten in my life for being a Jew. I had people follow me into a store screaming and yelling out racial slurs and smash me in the side of the head so hard that I just went flying right down onto the floor, banging my head on the floor while they yelled at me, bleeping Jew. It's not something from like the Holocaust. Again, it's nothing compared to the Holocaust. Okay, I got smashed in the face one time. Okay, big deal. It's not the end of the world. But you understand Jewish history? You have no problem saying that, that, that verse. This story happened to me in New York, but it could have happened here. It, it, it's such an incredible... The reason why we open the doors for Elijah, it's really just an excuse to get the kids to go open the door and go look outside. During thousands of years of Jewish history, we were concerned about blood libels, which happened on a regular basis. When the Christians would dump Jew, you know, blood or a, a, a non-Jewish body, literally like a body, in the property, on the front yard of some Jew, and then bring a mob and say, look, there's, you know, there's the, the Christian kid they killed. There, there's the Muslim kid. It happened in Muslim, time, in Muslim countries as well. We used to open up our doors on the night of Pesach to just look outside, make sure there's nothing dangerous, make sure there's no body in our hedges or in our courtyard that would then set off a mob that would come through the city burning Jewish homes, violating Jewish people and killing and robbing and 
murdering and hacking. When you understand what Jewish history looks like, you realize that yes, it's appropriate to say to God, Pure, pour out your wrath and your fury and your anger on those that would attack your children. Of course that's appropriate. If you want to be able to have freedom, which is what Pesach Seder is all about, you've got to be ready to get a little uncomfortable for that freedom. Because if you're so, if to you, peace is so important that you're not willing to get a little tough then you're going to see what it means. Let's look at let's look at Neville Chamberlain. Peace in our times. The Nazis were agitating. They were telling everybody what they wanted to do. They were militarizing, they were building up. And people were nervous, but they didn't want to disturb the peace. Peace in our times. So Neville Chamberlain goes and signs a, a treaty. And then the Russians go and sign a treaty. It's like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, let's keep it peaceful. Until it was too late and the world was thrown into a holocaust. That besides, of course, the toll it took on the Jewish people, the 6 million Jews, killed over 50 million human beings. None as systematically attacked as the Jewish people being sent, you know, in, 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 by the millions in cattle cars to death, death camps. But over 50 million human beings lost their lives in the Holocaust. You know why? Because people weren't willing to be, let's, let's stop the saber rattling. Let's stop the saber rattling. Why do we got to be so angry? Why do you got to be a, a, such a hawk, a war hawk? You're a war hawk. Maybe if we had a few more war hawks, we wouldn't have had World War II. And look at what's going on right now. Iran is building a nuclear bomb. There's no question about it. There's no one in the world who doesn't believe. I mean, you got to be the world's biggest fool to think that Iran is not building a nuclear bomb. Of course they're building a nuclear bomb. And yet we don't want to bother them. That previous president sent them $150 billion in cash, which of course they distributed to their entire proxy network, the Houthis and Hezbollah. They're the world's largest sponsor of state terrorism. But you don't want to be uncomfortable. You don't want to call out, you don't want to pour out any wrath or furious anger on them. Which, by the way, at that point, we didn't need to call out wrath or furious anger. We had crippled Iran with our sanctions. Iran was totally crippled. That's why they came crawling back to the bargaining table. And what do we do? And we said, okay, you have to wait 10 years before building a bomb and we'll give you lots of cash. That's not how it works. If you want freedom, which is what the Pesach Seder is all about, you have to be willing to call out evil, even in ways that are uncomfortable. If you're willing to say, I am ready to pour out wrath and furious anger and blazing anger overtake them. And we say to Hashem, I'm begging you, Hashem, Pour out your wrath. Because they've devoured Yaakov and they've desolated his home. Hashem, stop those people in their tracks. Sometimes peacefulness is the most cruel thing you can do. And sometimes cruelty is the most peaceful thing you can do. Right? Let's take, I mean, let, let's take the, uh, let's take the, um, 
let's take the, I don't know, like the atom bombs. They were horrific acts of cruelty, but the Japanese just were not gonna go down. This is a nation that was a kamikaze nation that was built into their genes and they were just gonna keep fighting and fighting and fighting and destroying and killing. Sometimes you, you have to do a horrific, horrific act, but it's an act of kindness because you stop the war. And sometimes you act with such peace, but you're the most cruel thing in the world. Neville Chamberlain was not peaceful. He was cruel to the 50 million people who died. And I'm telling you, history will judge. This Iran deal is one of the greatest Neville Chamberlains of, of all time. You're not being kind and benevolent and caring and sensitive when you create a peace treaty and send $150 billion in cash to evil people. There's no kindness in there whatsoever. So if you want to be free, which is what the Pesach Seder is all about, you got to be ready to call out evil where it is. And that's what we do at the Pesach Seder. It's uncomfortable. And it was added to the Haggadah during the times of the Crusades. You know, let, let's read that again. Let's read that statement over there. I love, again, this, this Haggadah says, it's a late addition to the Haggadah after the period of the Crusades and the pogroms of the Rhineland. The Crusades were a series of military conflicts of a religious character waged by Christians from 1096 to 1291, usually sanctioned by the Pope. The first crusade was launched in 1095 by Pope Urban too, with the dual goals of liberating the sacred city of Jerusalem and the Holy Land from Muslims and freeing the Eastern Christians from Muslim role. Inevitably, the Christians also involved destruction and oppression of Jewish communities in Europe and the Holy Land. Inevitably. Inevitably. That obviously happened. Inevitably means like something's automatically going to happen. Like if you put baking soda and inevitably there will be baking soda and vinegar experiments at your local elementary school fair. That's, that's inevitable, right? And inevitably, if you eat hydrochloric acid, it's going to be very, 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 very bad for you. That's inevitable, right? It's inevitable that if you uh, that if you stare at the sun for a very long time, you're going to lose your eyesight. Those things are inevitable. The Crusades, wiping out and destroying Jewish communities, that's inevitable? Are we talking about human beings over here? It's inevitable? Let me read to you an eyewitness account of the Crusades written by somebody in the city of Mainz, which was a Jewish, there was, a, it's in Germany, which is today Germany, it wasn't Germany back then. And, and this was written by an eyewitness, the Jews of the city knowing of the slaughter of their brethren in other cities fled in hope of safety to the Bishop of Ruthard. They put an infinite treasure in his guard and trust having much faith in his protection. He placed the Jews in a very spacious hall in his own house that they might remain safe and sound in a very secure and strong place. But the band held counsel and after sunrise attacked the Jews in the halls with arrows and lances, breaking down the bolts and the doors, they killed the Jews about 700 in number who had in vain resisted the force of an attack of so many thousands. They killed the women also and with their swords pierced tender children, whatever age and gender. Inevitable. Inevitable. That's not inevitable, that's animals. That's not inevitable, that's literally animals, worse than animals. Animals never would have done this. Animals don't go massacring. Anyway, animals don't massacre, period. Even when a, in, 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 the, in the jungle, in the savanna, a lion might take down a water buffalo and it will wait for the weak one in the crowd and try to get it out there because it's hungry and it needs to eat. Never massacres. 
Never. Animals don't do this. And anyone who wants to do this deserves to have furious wrath poured out on them. And any, many a modern Seder that excludes this part because of its language is a modern Seder that's just out of touch with reality and the sacrifice that you need to have freedom. If you want freedom, you're gonna to have to suffer for it a little bit. And maybe you say things that feel uncomfortable, recognizing that if you don't, they're not gonna stop coming after you. Okay, next. On that happy note, no, I'm kidding. Let's, let's finish with one, <clears throat> with one happy note. The 14th step in the Seder is called Hallel, which means to give praise. Giving praise, right, is something that frees you, right? Everything in the Seder, all 15 steps free you. So let's think about what are we freeing by saying Hallel? And the idea is like this, we're freeing ourselves from our natural selfishness. The natural tendency of a human being is I want to be praised. I want the praise coming at me. For me to be big enough and say, I'm ready to praise others. I'm ready to give praise. That actually is freeing yourself from your natural ego. There's certain people who do this so well and so naturally. Earlier in the week, I gave this idea over and there was someone on the class and I, I called her out for good. I said, this woman, my wife and I were having lunch one time at Prime 10, and she was there with a bunch of her friends. And on her way out, she stops off of the table. She says to my wife, oh, you look so beautiful. I love your shaitol. Then she says to me, thank you so much, Rabbi. I really enjoy coming to your classes. Just sprinkling kindness and praise to other people. It doesn't cost anything. But it's not necessarily easy to do. You have to train yourself to be that kind of person, to be a person of halal to be a person whose life is praise of others. If we can free ourselves from the natural tendency of wanting the praise and then turn it into wanting to give the praise, then we've truly broken free. We've achieved some level of salvation. My dear friends, may you all have an incredible Pesach, one filled with light, one filled with love, one filled with praise and song, sitting with your bonus Shalom, singing with him, talking to him, feeling his light, bathing us in his, in his, in his Shekhinah, in, the, in, the, in the, the glory of the Shekhinah. May we experience what our sages tell us, in Nisan, Nigalu. In Nisan, the Jewish people were redeemed, and in Nisan, we were going to be redeemed once again. May we see the redemption, and I look forward to seeing you again after Pesach. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm going to turn off the...